0: Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonnell. Never a dull moment in Great Britain's Brexit debate. As we speak, they're voting on an extension to the Brexit deadline. There's also an amendment for the first time on a people's vote, a new referendum. With me is Ed Luce. He's the Washington columnist and commentator for the Financial Times. Thanks for joining us again, Ed.
1: It's always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. And by the end of the day today, we will have probably had the British Parliament reject um, all sorts of options. A uh, another people's vote, a new referendum looks like it's going to go down today. Uh, We've had May's deal go down. We've had uh, the no deal go down. So (laughs) what's left here?
1: Well, um, an extension is at the least unlikely to be rejected. Um, But, uh, you know, it's not just rejecting every option. It's rejecting Theresa May's option more than once, twice now, both in historically large margins, uh, once in January, once yesterday, have been defeated. And uh, she seems to be a sucker for punishment because she's threatening to bring it to the vote for a third time next week. And I have to say... You know, there's a great irony here that she keeps asking the same question again and again. And yet, when the question is posed should we have another second, second referendum? the reply is no, the people have spoken. But uh, when it comes to her own deal, uh, she keeps asking it again and again and again.
0: Well, I read a columnist in the Financial Times who almost had me convinced today that she can fail her way to victory if she keeps bringing it back time and time again. She broke off a few people for the the, the last vote. She's got the DUP, the Protestant Party from Northern Ireland, apparently ready to make a deal with her now. She's going to get some more votes. She's she's just holding the feet to the fire of everybody and trying to say, well, you You're going to vote for my deal or you're going to get uh, chaos.
1: Yes, I think strategy, if you can call it that, is a mixture of exhaustion and fear. The exhaustion is just being asked to do the same thing over and over again, um, you know, which does lead to insanity. And the fear is that the closer we get to that March, the 29th cliff edge date, uh, the um, likelier it is there will be a second referendum, but for want of agreement on anything else, and that that she calculates will terrify the DUP um, as well as the sort of hardcore Brexiteers in her own party into thinking well. Better have May's deal than than risk um, risk remaining in the European Union after all this. That you know, as I say, if you can call it a strategy, would be would be the pathway of Theresa May failing her way to success.
0: Is there um, a way to cut her out now? I mean, people are going to vote today on an amendment that uh, people say could effectively cut Theresa May out of the deal, and Parliament would take control for the first time in Great Britain since World War II and forge its own path. Does that sound likely?
1: Yeah, but Parliament taking control, you know, is, is like saying the lunatics are going to run the asylum. I mean, it, it's the Parliament... I didn't you know, say
0: I was rooting for it. A
1: ...singular... <laughs> A singular word but there is no consensus within parliament as to what they would do with that control so uh, it would be a more an even more volatile and unpredictable situation because all kinds of amendments would come up um but there's absolutely no guarantee it would produce any more clarity um you know with the clock ticking we've now got just two weeks before, you know, what I call the Thelma and Louise moment. Uh, there's no, absolutely no confidence that that would produce a decision before then.
0: It was interesting to see the EU weigh in and root for a long extension. Uh, what, what And then Theresa May does not want a long extension. She wants a short extension and her deal.
1: She wants a, a short extension because uh, if if Britain was extended beyond May the 23rd, it would be obliged legally to participate in the European parliamentary elections. And that would be a potentially an explosive populist moment in which people on the streets will say, look, it's been three years since we voted to leave Europe, and now we're running for the European Parliament. Um, so she wants an extension um, uh, that ideally would uh, last before then. Um, the Europeans are saying, look, take all the time you need. Um, You know, we don't want to force you to into a decision you're clearly no likelier to take in a few weeks than you have in the last two and a half years. Um, So it's a very, very difficult um, timetable to game out, even if there is an extension passed by Britain and even if Europe accepts this
0: extension. I'm talking with Edward Luce, the Washington columnist and commentator for the Financial Times. We're talking about the Brexit debate and the vote that is going on uh, as we speak in Great Britain. And I wanted to ask a question about the Labour Party. It's interesting that uh, this vote for another referendum is coming up and uh, there is a big chunk of Labour that is expected not to vote for it and it would doom the referendum. And I noticed that Ian Blackford got up from um, the the Scottish uh, area and he said, um, a shiver has run down the front bench. Of the Labour Party looking for a spine to run up, and it has not found one. Um, is is, <laughs> is the Labour Party uh, looking for uh, how, how are they looking right now? They're split. They're divided. They they've got no uh, n-
1: no path. They're sort of the mirror image of the Conservative Party. In that uh, you know most of the Labour Party members are in favour of remaining in Europe, but the leadership um, isn't. Um, so it's a divided party but with its heart mostly in Europe. The Conservative Party is a divided party, but um, with its heart very much out of Europe. Uh, so uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, is very reluctant to support um, a second referendum. His his stance is, no, we oppose a Tory Brexit, a Conservative Brexit. We want a Labour one. Um, the only advantage of a Labour Brexit is quite a big advantage, is that it would involve a customs union. So that whole issue over the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland would go away with that. Um, on the other hand, you, you, you would question what was the point of, of Brexit in the first place. And so that there is enormous frustration at, um, as that Scottish nationalist you quoted said, at the spinelessness of, of Jeremy Corbyn. Here he could single-handedly change the situation decisively towards a people's vote, and yet he continually refuses to do so uh,
0: a lot of people uh, Donald Trump came out and said another referendum would be unfair, and uh, is there a, a something about uh, a people's another people's vote? Other people say that well, now that we really know the choices, now we can vote uh, more clearly. Uh, how do you feel about that?
1: I think that's a very fair argument because if you if you cast your mind back to the original referendum and the campaign that the Leave um, Leave the EU campaign ran, they said that um, Britain would um, be able to keep all the trading agreements with Europe without free movement of people. Uh, there would be another £350 million a week for the National Health Service. Now, all of these have been very much belied by reality. They misunderstood and deeply misrepresented the nature of the negotiations with, with um, Europe over over a departure. Um, and people are, I think, a lot more educated now than they were then. So uh, that's why those who, you know, are in favor of Brexit are terrified of the second referendum, because I think they fear that public opinion would have shifted decisively enough to repudiate the original referendum uh, Donald Trump is echoing the brexiteers um, um, hen sheets that's that's th- those are always been the people who've given him his cue people like Boris Johnson uh, and Nigel Farage um, prompt Trump to say what he what he says to the great annoyance of Theresa May and and um, everybody else and the rest of the British political spectrum.
0: But it, it seems like a well crafted second referendum could get whatever the person who's crafting it wanted. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a tricky little business.
1: That's very true. I mean, because you'd have to have more than two options, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a simple vote. It wouldn't be a binary choice. It would have to include Theresa May's soft, so called soft Brexit op- option as well as a hard Brexit option and then a remain option. And if one of them didn't get above 50%, then you'd have to have a mechanism of second preference votes and redistribute them um, until one of the first two um, in the rankings got above 50%. Um, And it would be pretty clear that every remain voter's second preference and every leave voter's second preference would be Theresa May's option because that's the one in the middle. So, you know, if she were strategically as smart as uh, some people really hope she is, but um, there's little evidence of it so far, then she would be gaming precisely that referendum to ensure her version wins.
0: Very interesting. Edward Luce is the Washington columnist and commentator for the Financial Times. Thanks a lot for joining us and talking about the Brexit vote and debate today.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll have our global activism segment where we feature people who make the world a better place. And we'll talk with a Coptic Orthodox nun from Egypt about her work with the poorest of the poor in Egypt. I'm Jerome McDonnell. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. It's time for our global activism segment where we feature people who make the world a better place. Mama Maggie Gobran is a Coptic Orthodox nun. She's the founder of St. Stephen's Children. St. Stephen's Children works with the poorest of the poor in Egypt. Mama Maggie is a recipient of this year's Secretary of State's International Women of Courage Award and is being hosted in Chicago by World Chicago that promotes a citizen diplomacy here. It's great to meet you. Thank you for coming.
2: Thank you very much for this wonderful time, Jerome.
0: You have such an interesting story. Um, You were from a privileged background in Egypt. Tell us about yourself and how you ended up working with the poorest of the poor.
2: I think my story is very close to every human story, that we we don't choose where to be born or uh, or where our life will end. But uh, the meaning between the two is up to us. So either to be a good one doing good, success, or to choose the other way. And uh, it was a gift from above. I didn't choose it. I feel it was a gift because uh, my family was so good to me. Uh, my country was so good to me and still. And uh, I felt uh, I am in debt. I, it's my turn to do something good to others.
0: Now, you were a um, marketing professional in Egypt and a professor at Cairo University. And uh, then then when did you make the switch?
2: I was teaching at the American University in Cairo for almost 14 years. And I loved my students. They were the elite of the society, and they are still my friends. And uh, one day, uh, some friends said, uh, let's go to poor areas and see how we can give gifts to the children. And when I went there, I couldn't leave them anymore. <laughs> I feel that I felt that uh, God was promoting me. Leave the best student and go to the poorest of the poor.
0: Tell me a little about uh, Saint Stephen's children, and you, you started this organization to help these, these poor children. Uh, how, is it, why did you call it Saint Stephen's? Why did you call it Saint Stephen's? Well, how did you start
2: this? It was when I visited uh, these areas, I found many children, um, left uh, a hungry child nobody cares for, uh, a wounded uh, young boy and girl, uh, no one cares to to help them. And then I found that the human being as a whole is a body, mind and heart and spirit. So we thought, how can we help them in their bodies? We give them food, shelter and... uh, uh, medical assistant checks and uh, uh, we help their uh, mental if you call it uh, their mind uh, to provide education because we believe education is the key to break the cycle of poverty and uh, and then uh, a spirit uh, to help them to find back their own selves like uh, when Sukrat said uh, know yourself uh, he didn't invent this he found it in a temple in uh, Greece uh, and he took it as a theme for his life and I believe this is a good theme for every one of us that uh, come to know yourself deeper and deeper know your value know your, know your strength know your dream because I believe in every human there is a a hero and a child, and a dream.
0: Explain how you awaken uh, the knowing yourself in some of the young people in in, in the poorest situations in Egypt.
2: Just before I came, Jirombe, I met someone in the street, and he said, Mama, you, maybe you cannot remember me. I was one of your children one day, and I was about to uh, end my life And then uh, one of your uh, team came and asked me to come uh, to the camp. When I come to the camp, uh, you hold me and you put your arm around my shoulders. And that was the first time I ever felt someone really cares for me. Just listening to others, giving them the chance to know they are valuable and uh, their life worth living. He left this camp. And since that time, he became a hard worker, honest, and cooperative. And he, at that time when I met him, he said, I just want you to ungr- congratulate me. Uh, my wedding is next week, and I'm a, a successful businessman. Oh,
0: that's terrific. I imagine that's the, 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 the ultimate payback here, this is to see people grow up and succeed. And you've been doing it long enough that you can do that. Uh, where else, uh, uh, what, can you explain more what happens at a camp? What happens uh, where you have, where where children go?
2: Jerome, uh, I can never uh, uh, explain uh, every life I meet. I learn from every one of the children, and uh, they are full of uh, creative ideas, energy, and dreams, and uh, just waiting for someone to take them serious. And... Uh, To discover yourself, I think we need to uh, stop uh, running all the time in busy, busy life and uh, give myself a chance to really go deeper. Because when I go deeper, I can really begin to learn what are my gifts and how can I help others with what God gave me. And uh, this is the real success. Can
0: you explain how you structure your own life to go deeper? Because I, as I understood it, I was watching a video, and uh, around ten years ago, you decided I can't, uh, I shouldn't be doing the work, all the work, all the time. I should lead a contemplative life myself. And now you make time in your year to have contemplation.
2: I believe every stage in life has its own direction, and. Uh, when I was young, I was uh, going every day from early morning, four o'clock until uh, uh, six o'clock at night, all the time going from one place to another to help the children. Uh, Ten years later, uh, we started to have a uh, uh, team working. Uh, they are wonderful people, better than me now. They are well qualified and uh, doing great job. Uh, Ten years later, I never thought... I will live until I see young children become leaders from our team. And they say, um, we want to give back what we have learned. So this is a dream I never even thought of it at the beginning. And then I thought, uh, if I pray more and spend time more with myself and go deeper, I think I will be a, more of a blessing for them. And we are still learning. We're just starting and uh, I think uh, quiet time every day is very important for every successful person like uh, reading a lot, they say leaders are readers and we say they are readers and healers because what they have received, it's their turn to help someone else. Like uh, Warren Buffett who said uh, he spent like around five hours every day by himself uh, to read and think, meditate, and the time by yourself is the key. To spe- uh, Choose time to spend it by yourself and begin to see clearly who you are and what is your dream, your mission in life, and how can you be effective uh, in a deeper way that the history and the next generation will learn from it.
0: I'm talking talking with Mama Maggie. She is a Coptic Orthodox nun, founder of St. Stephen's Children. It works with the poorest of the poor in Egypt, and she's a recipient of this year's U.S. Secretary of State's International Women of Courage Award and is being hosted here in Chicago by World Chicago. Um, We are in the Lenten season now. It's the holy season for many Christians. As a Coptic Orthodox Christian, what does Lent mean to you? How does that feed into your mission?
2: Thank you very much for uh, um, still considering that this is a very holy time. And it is uh, the time before the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, if we go through the days, how he spent the last 40 days on this earth with his disciples, we can learn a lot. And uh, he was the only one ever said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not only this life, the life forever. So what we see from wonders, from the sky and the earth and the water and the stars and all this, it's only um, just um, a glimpse from what we will see forever about the real glory that is coming. So this is a wonderful time that we ki- choose time in every day and spend time by ourselves and with him.
0: When you're working with the poorest of the poor, and how do you, um, how do you transmit and communicate this feeling to them? It's, uh, it seems complicated and their lives are, are needy.
2: This is a very important question. All the questions were really good. And if you uh, think that you're ready to give more than you expect back, I think and I believe you will always find something great happening. So when we went there until today, we don't want much from someone who needs, like, rehabilitation or hungry for bread and hungry for love and shelter. He's naked, but uh, he's naked from his own dignity and his character is not as it should be. So if someone is giving with all heart, will always find good result. This is my experience. I didn't learn before much. I didn't know much. I didn't know even my friends, they were laughing at me when they heard that I... Left uh, the university and going to these areas, they said, "How could she cope? She, I was not trained for that." But I feel the secret and the mystery of life that when you give all, you will receive much more.
0: Now, uh, Saint Stephen's Children is in uh, different locations within Egypt. You're in Alexandria, you're in Cairo, you're here, there. Uh, could you give us some idea of the scope of the operation? What, uh, how, how many places are you?
2: Thank you. Um, I think uh, now we are covering uh, the whole nation from Upper Egypt to the end of the country because in every place we found some needy people, we go and set a center and it's an education center for the community in this place. And we try to help the very young children since they are newly born until they go to school and then we open schools. Uh, for those who are uh, after six years old and then we have other programs to uh, help the teenagers and then we have a program for the mothers because the mother is the key for in the life of everyone. We are all having a mother and uh, if she gave and put the right seeds the human being will become successful. So we have centers all over the country.
0: Is it easy for an organization? It's hard for it seems like NGOs to work in Egypt these days. Is it hard for a Coptic Christian NGO to work in across the country in Egypt these days?
2: I think uh, you can answer something like that because every successful person he <laughs> can expect and face a lot of challenges, and uh, when we are ready for it and be creative. And nothing can stop us. And we will continue to do it no matter what it takes. I think we all can succeed.
0: Uh, is safety an issue? Does that Are there worries about safety in different places in, in in Egypt for your organization?
2: This is also a very important question because uh, safety, it's uh, an issue everywhere we go. Like here in Chicago... And uh, everywhere, I think in the whole world, uh, safety uh, is important, very important. Uh, that's why I'm asking everyone to have his safety and his peace coming from inside. The inner peace will give you the courage, will give you the the light where you go and where you, you don't go. You stop before you go. Uh, if it is something that is not yours, you don't take it uh, because... Uh, this is the real danger in life. So I, I ask everyone, please, to go deeper in self and find what is yours. And yours, nobody can take it. And don't compare yourself with anyone else because each one has a success. When one had a success, we all succeed. One win, we all win.
0: What are your hopes for uh, St. Stephen's Children in the future? What do you want to see the organization achieve?
2: Thank you. I, I hope and I pray that we fulfill what we have been created for, not only for Stephen's children, for every human being who feel uh, neglected, uh, hungry, and nobody cares for him, and he couldn't fight himself or his dream yet. We want every human to know that his life is worth living. And he deserves all the values and the gifts that God put in him. I want to see every human thinking positive and have his dream come true.
0: You're in Chicago in the United States now, and, and you're touring around with the State Department. Um, what's it like? I mean, you've been here before. Is this um, How do you react to everything in the States?
2: You, I thought that you don't have uh, tough questions, but you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's a beautiful country. Here, uh, uh, Lake Michigan is beautiful this morning. I was standing and looking uh, about, uh, amazed with the beauty uh, and uh, the art of this life, how it was created to be. And uh, I have... Uh, um, again, I'm blessed to have uh, the best people in the U.S. are my friends. All of them are so kind-hearted, so generous, so gracious, and I'm learning a lot from him- them. And uh, I hope that uh, we will be busy building our own um, dream and character, not spending time with something that is not worthy to stop and spend energy in.
0: Uh, do you think about the disparities in, in income? Uh, the, it's a we display a lot of wealth and celebrate wealth. Um, is that a um, how does that sit with you these days? Uh,
2: for me personally, I feel uh, it's a gift. It's a gift that everyone. Uh, uh, I have something to give to others. If it is wealth, it's your chance to be blessed. If it is knowledge, it's your chance to help someone else. If it is a profession, it's your chance. Uh, As you develop yourself and grow, like uh, think and grow rich, it's a chance for every human uh, to do something better every day. Every day has a new dream, a new idea, a new hope.
0: Mama Maggie Gobron is an or- Coptic Orthodox nun. She's founder of St. Stephen's Children. And St. Stephen's Children, you can find more information at stephenschildren.org. And they have a website there with lots of information. And you see the young people that they're helping and the places they're working in, which are amazing to see pictures of, uh, Children.org. Thanks very much for joining us, Mama Maggie. Great to meet you. And uh, congratulations on your work.
2: I want to thank you very much, uh, Jerome McLoon, and I want to thank uh, the U.S. for uh, attracting the, the world to, more, to be more human. We want to ask human to be more human. And I would like to thank uh, all the people who helped, uh, who are doing to do something good to others. Uh, may God bless you all.
0: Great meeting you, Mama Maggie. Coming up after the break, we'll talk with two of the young women who are leading the Illinois youth climate strike. I'm Jerome McDonnell. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Back in August, 16-year-old Greta Thunberg decided to skip school and sit outside the Swedish parliament with a sign that said, School Strike for Climate. She wanted Sweden to get in line with the Paris Climate Accord. Greta thought her strike would last a few Fridays, but Greta has a direct way of talking about climate that's caught on. By November, she had a TED Talk In December, she was at the UN Climate Summit in Poland. Then in January, she was in Davos.
3: Adults keep saying, we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if... You would in a crisis. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire, because it is.
0: Greta's school strikes have become popular in Europe. A recent strike in Amsterdam drew 40,000 people. Tomorrow, the strikes go truly global, with school strikes in over 1,300 locations and 98 countries. With me is Isabella Johnson and Anya Sastry. They're the Illinois state leaders for the U.S. climate strike. They're the main organizers of the Chicago climate strike. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having us.
4: Thank you.
0: When did you guys first learn about climate change? Anya, do you remember first learning about climate change?
4: You know, the actual movement combating climate change and starting to take action against climate change only became really familiar to me in the past few years. Up until then, I hadn't heard much about climate change, global warming, and those kind of terms. Um, But in the past few years, that movement has really been picking up.
0: How about you, Isabella? When did you first think about climate change?
3: I would say that throughout um, my like education, I hadn't really heard of it much. It was never really taught to me much in school. So I think I learned the most about climate change and its effects just through the movement that has been taking place where people are putting more pressure to do something about it.
0: I remember when my son first learned about it, he was angry. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, was, mm-hmm. he thought, why are people doing this and not doing anything about it?
4: Exactly. You see all these problems happening because of the kind of actions that we humans are taking, but nobody has really done anything about it up until now. And that's kind of why us youth are angry, um, because no action has been taken. Yeah, definitely.
0: What does Greta say that rings a bell with you?
4: I think the fact that she's willing to take a stance and say we need action now is what really um, rings a bell with me. She's calling out all the adults and the people in positions of power in this world. And she's saying, look, there's a problem and we need to solve it. Uh, and if you're not going to solve it, as Youth will be here to do that.
5: Isabella?
3: Mm-hmm. And I think some people will say she's being very dramatic or putting too much emphasis on the problem. But I think that she needs to because if she hadn't in, in the first place, this whole movement wouldn't have been happening because she really started the whole thing. And because of her now, like 92 countries are striking. And she's just had an amazing impact on the world because of her harsh attitude towards it.
0: You know, I was interested to hear that Greta was inspired in part by the Parkland kids who had gone on strike for gun control. And both of you have been involved in the gun control movement, too?
4: Yeah, um, I've been involved with March for Our Lives um, and that movement probably for a year now.
0: And Isabella, you?
4: Yes,
3: I've worked with them multiple times. I'm in the process of founding a new sister branch of March for Our Lives called March for Our Lives DuPage, and that's in the process of forming right now.
0: All right. And you go to uh, Bennett School in yes, Lyle, Bennett yes. Academy. So what is the synergy there between gun control and, and climate change? They're both a couple of hard nuts to crack. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that's certainly true. Anya?
4: Yeah, I think the two issues are very, very different. But I think the one similarity that they have is this is not an issue that we can just sit back, um, kind of look at and take our time on. These are two very big issues that need to be tackled now. And they both are very dangerous to society.
5: Isabella?
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think what's really inspiring is that Much Lives, they've had the movement for about a year now, and you actually are seeing action. And people would always say, oh, they're not going to accomplish anything. They're just kids. But eight was introduced, and it hopefully will pass and get signed into a law. But like stuff is actually happening. So we're thinking with this, things will happen,
0: too. I know that the leaders of the U.S. climate strike want to support the Green New Deal. What appeals about the Green New Deal to you, Anya? I
4: think the fact that the Green New Deal is taking a strong stance on clean energy um, and that kind of initiative is what stands out to me um, because we have all these gases being emitted into the atmosphere and this kind of dirty air uh, is in our atmosphere and they're kind of taking a stance on that and how can we reduce those levels of emission
3: um, and bring that down. Uh, Isabella? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will say it's very radical, but I think we do need radical change. And a big point that a lot of people say Well, how are we going to pay for it? But if you look at what climate change is going to do to the world, it's going to cost a lot more in the future to repair ourselves.
0: Why do you think the Green New Deal has the traction it does as opposed to something like the carbon tax?
3: I
4: think the Green New Deal is something that's very ambitious. And while older generations might not like it as much as young people do, I think it's important that we take steps with that.
3: Yeah. And I think the fact that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is so involved with it, she has been getting a lot of hate on the media constantly. And there's a lot of people who don't like it. So I think sometimes people just assume, oh, whatever she's working on, it's too radical. We can't do it.
0: I'm talking with Isabella Johnson and Anya Sastry. They are the Illinois state leaders for the U.S. Youth Climate Strike. And the climate strike is happening tomorrow on Friday here in Chicago. And we're going to hear about the march in a second. But first, I wanted to play a clip for you from Diane Feinstein. She had this encounter with young people who support the Green New Deal. And uh, here's a little bit of it.
5: Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn
3: this around.
5: Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do, Senator, is if this put doesn't get turned around in 10 years,
4: you're looking at the faces of the people who
5: are going to be living know, with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people, and all of you know the people. You know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here. And you say, it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that.
0: Anya, what do you think when you hear this encounter?
4: You know, um, some people might say that these kids are being too combative. And like Diane said, my way or the highway – Um, But I think in this kind of situation, it's important to acknowledge that we need to take action. And these kids are actually doing something about it. Um, They're going out there. They're talking to their congresspersons, um, their representatives, and they're trying to communicate here and they're trying to get stuff done. And I don't think we can say that for a lot of the adults in positions of power. And so when these kids are out here really taking action and saying what needs to be said, um, adults get angry. But we're speaking the truth.
0: Isabella, what do you hear when you hear Diane Feinstein saying, think, I've been working on this for 30 years?
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's very unfortunate that that encounter happened and she acted that way because she is someone that a lot of young people could look up to, especially as a woman in power. And she just shut them down so quickly. And she can say she's been working on it for a super long time, but I don't think any of that matters when you have to get something done and you have to get it done now. And she has to realize the urgency of this, I think.
0: Diane Feinstein and people have accused Greta Thunberg of having her parents put her up to this kind of thing and that there's some kind of person behind all the young people. What's your reaction to that, Anya?
4: Um, I think it's important that people don't take the power away from the youth. I think it's important to recognize that um, our voices is something that's very, very powerful in itself, and our experiences, our opinions are our own. Um, they're not our parents. They're not any kind of like player behind the scenes. Um, we truly embody our opinions and our experiences, and we're using
3: that to uh, make change. Isabella? Mm-hmm. I think that they're just trying to make up excuses so that they don't feel like they need to take action. And I think it's kind of the same thing they do when they say, oh, those protesters are just paid to be there. It's like, no, they actually care about it. You can't just make excuses like that so you don't have to take action.
0: On the Republican side, we've got President Trump who pulled out of the Paris climate agreement um, and is a climate denier, does not really think he wants to do anything about it. You're going to be out there striking on this. But um, the president is just like a non-entity on this. Anya?
4: Yeah, I think it's very disappointing um, that he's so dismissive of this topic and this issue, because while he might not be facing the effects of it and the future effects of it, we will be our generation and generations to come. If we don't solve this issue now, we'll be dealing with the highly negative consequences of climate change. Um, and so I think that he needs to recognize that. And by not taking action, by being so dismissive of this, he's putting kids and future generations
3: to come in a lot of danger. Isabella? Mm -hmm. I am very angry when I think about that because him in such a position of power a lot of people will usually just believe whatever he says and him denying this makes a lot of people also deny it but if you look at science you know it's real but I think he is also making a country look bad towards the rest of the world because he's saying basically that we don't believe in climate change or we're not going to do anything about it.
0: Anya, what kind of reaction do you get from other students when you talk to them about the climate strike and try to get other students involved? How have you done?
4: Um, At least in my experience, uh, a lot of my friends and a lot of
3: other students and my peers have been very, very supportive. Isabella? Mm -hmm. I go to a very conservative school, um, mostly Republicans and such, so they have not been as supportive. I would say a lot of them, if they do believe in climate change, they won't really think we need to do anything about it or... Whenever I talk to my one friend about climate change, he'll always just say, oh, it's cyclical, it's cyclical. And I will show him science and he just won't believe it. So I haven't gotten quite the same reaction in my school. But reaching out to kids who go to different schools, especially um, Chicago public schools, I've gotten a very good reaction from them.
0: How are you getting in contact with everyone? I imagine there's a huge network of people working on this and Mm -hmm. um, you're meeting each other a lot for the first time, I imagine.
4: Yeah, I think it's honestly the power of social media. Um, Some people say social media is bad and our generation is too addicted to it. But I think in some aspects, it can really bring people together. And we've through word of mouth and through social media, that's how we've gotten so many um, students and
3: kids involved in this process. Isabella? Yeah, I would say definitely the key thing is social media because things can be shared so easily. Um, It can really just spread the word about the event so easily. And that's really helped us.
0: I imagine you're looking forward to meeting some of the people you have met on social media at the event on Friday. Yes. How many people do you think you've got so far?
4: I would say at least 200. We were hoping for more. Right now, that's like the baseline number.
0: And I know that there's one in Evanston that's taking place. I know there's another one um, outside of Chicago that seems to be taking place.
4: Yeah. uh, Northwestern is having one on their campus. Um, So college students are going to be involved in the process as well.
0: Now, Anya, what are you going to do on the march? Explain what's going to happen.
4: So the march is broken up into two different parts. We have the march from Grant Park to Federal Plaza, and then we also have a rally at Federal Plaza. During the march, we're going to be walking to Federal Plaza. Um, There's going to be chants. People are going to be having their posters and their signs, um, and we're going to be gathering a lot of momentum. And then at the rally, we're going to have various speakers and performers sharing their experiences and their opinions through their various mediums. All
0: right and um who's going to speak Isabella?
3: Um, So we have many um, youth activists who are speaking because we think this is a movement by the youth, so we have to get their voices heard. So I will be speaking, Anya will be speaking, some other members of um, a group are also speaking. We have a couple um, performers who will be reading um, their poetry that they have written, either inspired by climate change or just youth activism in general. And then we also have
4: Amaya Pawar, a Chicago politician who's taking a stance on climate change and environmental justice coming to speak at the
0: rally as well. That sounds great. Now, Anya, what's your main pitch? What are you going to get up there and say when you have your shot?
4: Um, I think the one message that needs to come across through this march, through this rally is, as youth, whether you like it or not, we're here to stay. Um, We recognize that action needs to be taken now, and we're not going to leave our futures in the hands of those who don't believe that um, this issue is an urgent one. So we're going to take action.
3: Yeah, I think people just need to keep putting pressure on politicians because nothing's getting done right now. And we can't just have this attitude of apathy towards it because people are already being affected. Just because, like, I personally have not been affected by climate change doesn't mean other people have. So I think we need to be a voice for the voiceless.
0: Where do you think this goes from here? I know, I mean, obviously Greta has been doing this for every week since August. I know some of the other organizers in the U.S. climate strike have been doing this for some time, too, on on regular Fridays. Do you have an idea what shape this might take for you guys, Anya?
4: Yeah, I think there's two ways we can kind of go about it. One is we bring a lot of national attention to the Green New Deal and garner a lot of support from politicians and elected officials. And then the other way is we could possibly partner with an industry or a, a company or, and business within a certain indus- industry that's causing these kinds of problems and creating further change within the climate. We partner with them and we get them to start implementing aspects of the Green New Deal within their company, within their business, um, so that they can set an example for other such industries.
5: Isabella?
3: Mm-hmm. And we realize that we have to keep this movement going. It doesn't just end with Friday. It begins first for, with Friday. So we are talking about possibly doing more strikes in the future. But we really have to discuss that more with our national team and everything. But it's not going away after Friday.
0: How do your parents feel?
4: My parents are in full support of this. They're really happy that I'm getting involved and that I'm um, part of this bigger movement um, for something so important like climate change.
3: Yes, my parents have also been very supportive. And they're very proud of me for doing this. And it's really nice to have that support.
0: Do your schools have a reaction? If you walk up to them and say, by the way, we'd like to extract students from school, is that um, something that they can agree to?
4: Yeah, I think um, at least for my school, we have a very um, supportive environment where teachers and faculty support students and support their role as change makers in society. Um, just taking a look at um, last year's walkout against gun violence, something that I organized within my school, they were all
3: very supportive of that, and some of them um, even walked out themselves. Isabella? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm having a different experience right now at my school. Um, we did the walkout last year. Um, for gun violence on april 20th and we didn't quite have um a good experience with it they controlled it a lot so it wasn't really like we were walking out they had to get on the pa and say oh you're excused now to go and stuff so they're not the necessarily the most supportive of this activism related stuff but a few of my teachers have been very supportive of this
0: that's good to hear Uh, if people want to get involved and get more information where's the best place to do it
4: Um, I think they could either go to the U.S. Youth Climate Strike website or they could um, turn their attention to the Sunrise Movement. I think that's a a very big movement that's garnering a lot of support um, recently. Um, And they're the ones that kind of created the Green New Deal with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And they're going to be picking up a lot of momentum within the coming months.
0: And the Illinois Climate Strike has its own Facebook page, and yes. the Chicago Climate Strike has its own uh, Facebook page as well, mm-hmm. and people can yes. get more information there. I've heard uh, org is pretty popular with the whole overview, and you get to see the map. Yeah,
3: with, you get to see the map, which is super cool. I was looking at it the other day, and I texted Anya. I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. It's It really just exploded. Yeah, it really is. If you look, it's like everywhere. It's just amazing to see because like mushroom lives was huge, but they did not have like this like global presence. That this countries. has. Yeah, exactly. 98. Um, we're hoping it gets to 100. Hopefully that would be super cool. But it's just amazing. Like this should get a lot of attention because like the entire world is included in this.
4: Yeah. And I mean, this is truly a global movement. And just looking at that map, and knowing that there are kids across the world that have the same opinions that I do and are supporting me, even though they don't even know me, they're supporting me in my actions um, and in my role as a change maker. that really makes me happy. Yeah, yeah there's a very big uh, sense
3: of unity, I think, like throughout the whole world.
4: I this. was
0: reading an article about kids in Delhi who were uh, starting it and taking the day off and they were getting newspaper attention and everything. So it was pretty great. Yeah, Definitely. Isabella Johnson and Anya Sastri are the Illinois state leaders of the U.S. climate strike. They're the main organizers of the Chicago climate strike. And good luck tomorrow and have a great time.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you for having us.
0: Tomorrow on Worldview, we'll have Weekend Passport with Nari Safavi, and we will talk with some Turkish asylum seekers who are organizing the Stateless Film Festival. It's a collection of short films that's based on the true stories of people who are subject to government oppression in Turkey. Hope you can join us tomorrow for Worldview. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Jenny Friedland and Ashish Valentine for production assistance. Thanks to Mike Gilmore for engineering today. Have a great weekend. I'm Jerome McDonnell, and you've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ.